I appreciate that scripture reading from Psalm 115, verses 11 through 15. And it should come as no surprise to any of you, after my being here for the years that I have, that I also love those little one-liners, those little slogans, those little thought-provoking sayings. I was rummaging... Well, rummaging? Eh. I was looking uh, back there at some of the boxes of stuff that some folks brought in to go to Hope Harbor. And there's some cups back there. And there's a cup in one of the boxes. I kind of had to giggle inwardly when I read it. Had a little slogan on it that said, If things get better with age, then I am approaching magnificent. I'm beginning to not understand the magnificent, but the whole age thing. Karen and I were looking, I don't remember where she found it, but um, we saw one not too long ago, and it said, and I like this one too, if we are not meant to have a midnight snack, then why is there a light in the refrigerator? <laughs> However, some of them make a little bit less comical point. A little while back, I saw a car up in our neighborhood with a mural or sign in the back window that says, I fight what you fear. I fight what you fear. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but sadly, I believe that there's a good likelihood that it's probably true, but in a way far different, perhaps, than from what the person who has it in their back window intended for it to mean. You see, if the person with that car truly fights what I fear, then like the impenitent robber in Luke 23, 39 through 41, as well as the council in Acts 5, 33 through 39, he fights God. Because I fear God. The Bible tells us, Solomon tells us, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12 and verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. If the driver of that vehicle is not a member of the Lord's church somewhere, then he, may, then he may very well fight against the very God, His word and His salvation, before which I and all people everywhere, instead of fighting, ought to fear and tremble. Ecclesiastes 12, 9-14 Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, and Philippians 2, 12 and 13. But his statement brings up an intriguing question. One that serves as the subject of both of today's sermons. And I want to just encourage you to be here tonight if you possibly can, and I'll leave it at that. But the question it brings up is, what do you fear? What do you fear? Christians are taught and told by their Lord that they don't have to fear. That they don't need to fear. But yet sometimes in our, our feeble frailty, in our fallen human state, we fear some things that we shouldn't 
fear. What do you fear? What do you fear when the budget's being cut? What do you fear when those that you want to reach with the Word of God are plotting and scheming and talking behind your back? What do you fear as you sit in the doctor's office? What do you fear when it comes to the future? What do you fear? When the bottom falls out in your life and your world is turned upside down, what do you fear? When it's just you and the darkness. Whatever your answer to those questions may be, this morning I want to encourage you and I want to strengthen you and I want to refocus you on the incredible love and strength and power of the Lord our God and how we not we need not fear any earthly thing as long as we walk with our heavenly sibling Hebrews 2 verses 10 through 18 we need not fear any earthly thing as long as we walk with our heavenly sibling I want you to remember that again from Hebrews 2 10 through 18 what is it that Christians should fail to fear but often fall to fear over instead. You know, sometimes when there's a bad economy or a financial circumstance or sacrifice, sometimes we fear whether or not we're going to be able to feed and clothe our families. But the Lord says we don't have to. As long as we keep our priorities right, and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, God says He'd take care of the rest. Didn't He say that? The Sermon on the Mount? Yes, He did. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, it's a very familiar passage, so I'm not going to turn there, but He did say that. I marvel. I marvel at how true that statement is. Not only from knowing it because it's scriptural, but from knowing it experientially. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Remember back in 2001 when I got done in a secular job that paid a lot more than preaching did. And we took about a 25 to 30 percent gross pay cut per week. I don't know what you make, I don't care what you make, but think about it. 25 to 30 percent. Our Social Security at the time doubled because it went from 7.5% that we paid to 15%. Our health insurance was no longer taken care of by the company because I was self-employed. All of that on top of that pay cut. And I really, we really took a step on faith and said we're going to seek first the kingdom. And God has taken very good care of us. I don't miss many meals, thank you Lord. <laughs> Another thing we sometimes fear... The Lord says we don't need to. Was something that I saw written repeatedly as I went through those Wednesday night surveys. Those Wednesday night surveys that I passed out and I asked you in the very beginning of that Wednesday night evangelism class to give some of the reasons that some people do not evangelize as they should and some of those answers included these. Lack of courage. Fear of rejection. And afraid 
of making people mad and losing friends. Sometimes we don't speak up for the Lord when we had ought to in certain circumstances because we fear the repercussions. We fear, use whatever term you will, afraid, whatever, but we fear the reproaches and responses of men and what people are going to say about us, behind our backs, what people are going to say to us, to our faces, sometimes even our own families. But the Lord says, you don't need to fear that. You don't have to be afraid of that. He reminds us repeatedly that the only thing that we should fear in those circumstances is his response if we don't speak up. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 10. Don't take my word for it or anything else. Go ahead and take a look here in Matthew chapter 10. Beginning in verse 24. Let Jesus tell you. Watch his words carefully. Jesus said, beginning in Matthew 10, verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Jesus said, if they call me those things, they're going to call you those things even more. Then look what he says. Therefore, do not fear them. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you're, you're of more value than many sparrows. Have you counted how many times in this text he has said, Do not fear. Therefore, verse 32, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. See, we need not fear those things. And something else that occurs to me that we need to keep in mind is we're doing it for those folks because we want to see them in heaven. Yes, we're doing it for the Lord first and foremost. But the Lord wants us to do it for those folks so that they will have the opportunity to be in heaven as well. Look how Luke words this same idea in Luke 12. Please turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. It's a lot shorter reading, but it makes the same point very well. Luke chapter 12 Verses 3 through 7. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. 
And what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Aren't five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I think of these things because, or particularly as they apply to me, because a lot of the sermons, most all of the sermons, unless they're really taking care of in-house stuff, most all of them are put out there on the internet. And I'm sure I say some things during some of these sermons that a lot of people don't agree with. Because a lot of people don't agree with God's word. But I need to do it fearlessly. This teaching is nothing new or new to the New Testament. This is one of those common threads and themes that runs throughout Scripture. Turn to me in your Bibles to the 64th Psalm. Psalm 64, would you please? It's not a new teaching. It's just a restatement by Jesus. Psalm 64. These truths, even though we're not under the Old Covenant, the truth contained in these texts are still valid and vital for us today. Psalm 64. The whole thing says, Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Did you get that? He doesn't say preserve my life from the enemy. He says that in a lot of other places. But in this text he says, preserve my life from fear of the enemy. God, make me courageous. Preserve me. Do not let me fear the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words. That's what their arrows are. Those are the arrows he's describing here. He's not describing a, a battle between two armies and that sort of thing, a literal shooting of arrows, but their words. Just exactly what we're talking about. He says... They bend their arrows, their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Notice again, they're shooting at those who are blameless and righteous before God. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. He said they shoot, they don't fear, but he goes on to say they ought to. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see me? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. They don't think they have anything to fear. They're shooting these bitter words. They're shooting, we could say, shooting their mouth off. They're shooting these bitter words at the righteous and the blameless. For those who are God's people who are doing God's will and teaching and preaching God's will. But he says, but God, verse 7, will shoot at them with an arrow. Folks, God don't miss. But God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them will flee away. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. 
we need not fear the words of men when we speak the words of God. Look with me in Psalm 56. Psalm 56. In the New King James Version, there are headings over most of the Psalms. They're not divinely inspired. They're what people believe were the circumstances at the time. So I don't ask you to take this as God's word. But in Psalm 56, the little heading here for at least consideration says, To the chief musician, set to the silent dove in distant lands, a mictum of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. This is supposedly a psalm written by David when he was captured by his enemies, the Philistines. And look what he says, beginning in verse 3. Folks, this goes for us any time that we are in dire straits. He says, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All the day, watch this now. All day they twist my words. They twist. Do you, you ever try to sit down and study with somebody, try to preach the truth, and all they want to do is just twist it up and gnarl it up and pervert what you're talking about? He says, all day long they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps, they lie in wait for my life. Shall I escape by iniquity? In anger cast down the peoples, O God. Then look what he goes on to say. He said, God, I know you understand. Verse 8, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me. Isn't that an empowering passage? Isn't that a beautiful passage? And this phraseology is quoted in other scriptures as well. Let me give you a couple of examples quickly. Psalm 118 verses 4 through 6 says this, let those who fear the Lord. See, that's the, the Lord's the only thing we should fear. If we fear the Lord, we don't have anything else to fear. Psalm 118 again, verses 4 through 6. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. I was in a mess. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the place in the New Testament we see that same phrase quoted is in Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 8, where it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never. You know, that's quite a statement when you're talking about something the eternal God says. You know, sometimes we might say as a human, well, I would never. But you know, a year down the road, circumstances change and we might. Who knows? But the eternal God, the God who cannot lie, whose word cannot be broken, says, 
Psalm, uh, Hebrews 13, 5 through 8. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I really want us to let these words sink in. That phrase about not needing to fear ungodly men and their traps and their snares is seen in several other situations that we are sometimes tempted to fear as well. But God says, you don't have to. You don't have to. You shouldn't. Don't. You know, sometimes we may fear oppression when rich and powerful, ungodly people take power or gain power. But God says you don't have to fear when the rich and ungodly take power. Psalm 49, 1-20. Read that later this afternoon. You know, some other times we, we fear people's insults. We fear people's snares and traps and reproaches when we seek to live and teach righteousness and truth. But God says, don't fear them either. Look in Isaiah 51. Isaiah chapter 51. We're going to begin at verse 7 where God says, you don't, you don't have to fear that. Isaiah 51, beginning at verse 7. Listen to me. That's not me talking, that's God. That's the three first words in the New King James Version in Isaiah 51, 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. You people in whose heart is my law. I love the way God is, is grabbing us, right? But the spiritual lapels are saying, listen to me. You who know my law, you who are righteous, listen to me. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. You know, we in the Lord's church get called a lot of things. He said, don't worry about it. For verse 8, For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever. Remember, he's talking to people who know his righteousness, and he's encouraging you and letting you know that those insults and those things that people say, they'll pass. They'll be gone before you know it. But his righteousness, his righteousness that is in you, will be forever. And my salvation from generation to generation. Down in verse 10, it says, Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? Wait a minute, aren't we talking, when God says, listen to me, don't be afraid, you know my righteousness, you don't have to fear these things. And then Isaiah asked the question about who, who's trying to get our attention, who's asking us that, and he's, he's showing us God's power. He says, God, you're the one who, who did these magnificent things, verse 10. Then in verse 11, So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They'll obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is a promise through Isaiah to God's Old Testament children that they will be drawn back to God. 
and they will come with joy and singing. They don't have to worry about the insults of people and all that. As long as they know God, that's the only thing that matters. God will take care of them. And then look at God's response here in verse 12. I, even I, I God, the God who led them through the waters and made a road through the Red Sea and the Jordan, I, the Lord, am He who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like us? That is a beautiful text. Stop and think about this. God says, I'm God. Who are you that you should fear a man who's not going to be here tomorrow? I'm God. I've got this. I'm on your side. You don't need to fear them. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the Son of Man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord, your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. God says, who, Why are you fearing them and forgetting me? Why are you fearing them? How can you fear them and forget who I am? Because if you're fearing them, you've obviously forgotten who I am. He says, You have feared continually. Every day. You feared these people. You feared the oppressor every day continually because of the fury of the oppressor when he was prepared to destroy. God tells his people, he said, you've been worried and threatened and fearing these people all the time. When they were prepared to destroy. And God says, and where's the fury of the oppressor? Do you see his point? You feared him? You didn't need to, but you did. So where is he? Where's this big deal? Where's the fury of the oppressor? God's telling us, don't forget me. If you're in my hand, you don't need to fear them. Verse 12 and 13 remind us of another thing we sometimes fear, but God says we need not to. And it goes along with this whole idea of the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And that is... Becoming so scared and so consumed with the fear of what evil men could or might possibly do to us that we let fear take us over. That we let fear control us. That we let fear overwhelm us. That we let fear overtake and overshadow us. We can get to the point that we become so scared and consumed with the fear of what evil men could do to us that we forget... And we neglect the lives of peace and joy that we should know because we know God. Are we supposed to live lives of peace and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we? But sometimes we let fear crush that. We fear the oppressor. And it freezes us. And God is telling us in verses 12 and 13 of Isaiah 51, Hey, how can you become so consumed with fear you forget me? You see, such all-consuming fear of men and their schemes isolates, neutralizes, and prohibits a Christian's mission it prohibits and isolates the Christian's ongoing mission of joyfully and effectively spreading the gospel. 
When we are so frozen with fear, we can't move and we've let it overwhelm us because our eyes are on the storm instead of on the Savior. It's a snare. That's what it says in Proverbs 29 and verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. We can't let that bog us down and overwhelm us. It's a trap. Fear is a trap that neutralizes us. Look in the New Testament in John 20, and we'll see this. That fear is a trap that neutralizes God's children. John chapter 20. Please turn there. And God says you don't have to. You're all worried about the suppressor. Where is he now? John 20, verse 19. Jesus has been resurrected. It's Sunday. It's that resurrection Sunday, as it were. Jesus has met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke tells us. But it says in then John 20 and verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled. Now I know that the church has not been instituted there yet, but I love the correlation. Notice please two things. Number one, it is the first day of the week, and they are assembled. When the doors were shut for fear. The doors were shut for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. These people are consumed with fear. They're scared to death. They're hiding out like rodents in a wall. They got the doors shut. They're scared to death. Fear has overwhelmed them. Jesus comes, stands in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. I want you to replace the fear with peace. You don't need to fear them. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. You don't need to fear death. You don't need to fear them who can cause the death of the body. And he shows them his wounds. Then guess what? Then the disciples were glad. They went from fear to being glad when they realized that Jesus was the one who had power over everything they feared. There was nothing they could do to him. It would stop him from being Lord, not even putting him to death. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Do you see that word, peace? He said, Peace to you. Now, they were in this place with the doors closed. They were fearing. He said, Now, I send you. I filled you with peace. Now you need to be sent out. You don't need to fear. So he sent them out of that little room they were hiding in. And you know, this applies to us today. When we hear of events in this world that are troubling, we need not let some godless sinner with a gun who opens fire on innocent people cause us to live absolutely overwhelmed in fear and trembling when we ought to be living in faith and trusting. Now, I'm not talking about being unobservant, okay? I'm not talking about being unprepared. I'm not talking about foolishly or unnecessarily testing God. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about not using a little common sense and wisdom. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about 
is that when I hear something like that, we as Christians need not fear and let it so consume us and control us and overwhelm us that it neutralizes us or isolates us or consumes our faith and our thoughts and our service. We can't live like that, folks. We can't. Not if we fear God. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, we have the story of the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan. And when they come back, Joshua and Caleb basically told God's people in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 9, that to fear the Canaanites so much that it neutralized them in their mission was to, in effect, rebel against God and not have faith in God's promise, providence, or protection. Do you remember what happened to those people? Do you remember when they feared the inhabitants of the land and they didn't go in and take it? When they let fear so consume and overwhelm and isolate them that it froze them in their tracks so they didn't obey God and they didn't fulfill the mission? Do you remember what happened to those people? That's what happens when fear and trembling of man, instead of faith and trusting in God, takes over. That brings us to the third and final thing I want to discuss this morning. Circumstances in which we are often mightily tempted to fear. And if more than one of us really stops to think about it, you know, when we go to bed at night and there's not a lot going on and we're in the darkness and it's just us, the third thing I want to discuss, circumstances we are tempted to fear in, and we will if we walk by sight and not by faith, are these. Circumstances when in life, the bottom just falls out. The seemingly impossible happens. You wake up one morning and that which you thought never would happen, there it is. All of a sudden, it's just overwhelming. It's too much to handle. There's no, there's no way to win. When it seems like all is lost and hopeless, what do you do then? Just looking out there, I can see in some of your faces, you're waiting for the answer because you know exactly what I'm talking about. What do you do then? They had that situation in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Please turn there. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It may be the doctor's diagnosis. It may be a phone call from that you never wanted to get. It could be any number of things when the bottom falls out and you wake up and there it is. When it seems all is lost, what do you do? Do you fear? You fold up? 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab, people of Ammon, and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Jedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. He was scared to death. He was overwhelmed. Powerless to deal with this situation. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, 
O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nation? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? He knew the power of the nations that were coming against him. He knew they were overwhelming. And so what did he say? He said, God, I know you are more powerful than they are. I know that you are bigger than all of them put together and then some. Aren't you that God? Verse 7, are you not our God? Folks, if your child comes running to you and they are scared to death because they've had a nightmare or they've had some terrible trauma and they just come running to you, what do you say? Too bad? If you, then know, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your Father who is in heaven will give good gifts to you, Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. So they come running to God and they say, Are you not our God? And we go to God and we say, Are you not our Father? Are you not my Father? Father, I need you. I need your help. Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwell in it, and they built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. You know what? We don't have to do that because we are a temple, are we not? As individuals. And we can go to God our Father and say, You're my Father. And we can be in His presence by the blood of Jesus. That's why the veil was ripped in two. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Mount Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we, watch this, brethren, next time you, you wake up and it's all just, it's all coming apart. Look at what he says. For we have no power against this great problem that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Not only, don't we have the, not only do we not have the power to deal with it, we don't know what to do about it. We don't even know which direction to go. We don't know how this is going to come out. We don't know how to get through this. We don't have the power to get through it if we knew what to do about it. You ever been there? But our eyes are on you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Here's a king saying, I got no power. I don't know what to do. God, help us. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, this great and overwhelming problem. 
that you don't know what to do about, you don't have any power to do about, don't fear. For the battle is not yours, but God's. If your child in kindergarten or first grade comes to you, and they have been, they have this big problem at school, some teacher, some bully, some issue that has just beat the daylights out of them. Dad's going to be making a trip to school. Isn't he? Dad, aren't you going to be making a trip to school? You are. Guess what? God's children come to him and say, I don't know what to do. It's too big for me. I need your help. God makes trap. He don't, don't fear. One other quick one here. 2 Kings 6. Please back up in your Bibles a couple of books to 2 Kings. Explain it real quickly. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, there's a king there. King of Syria, he's fighting against Israel, but every time he goes to ambush Israel, um, the prophet Elisha knows where he's going to be. So the king of Syria says, basically, there in verses 8 through 13, he says, I need to find this guy. Well, through one thing and another, they find him. And so this is what happens in 2 Kings, again, chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Therefore he, that is the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. This is where Elisha the prophet is. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now I want you to understand, this was an overnight thing. When I keep saying, when you wake up in the morning and the world has changed, he woke up in the morning and the world changed. When he went to bed the night before, that army was not there. They came in the middle of the night. They came under cover of darkness. And he wakes up in the morning and he goes out and it's just... It's overwhelming. And all of a sudden, you wake up and, and there it is. We're done. We're cooked. We can't handle this. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And Elisha answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Fear freezes people. God does not want his people frozen with fear. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw him. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Folks, when it looks like it is too big and we cry out to our Heavenly Father, may we have the strength and the faith to pray to God and say, God, please open my eyes to your aid. Please open my eyes to what's really going on here and to your power. Do not fear. When the bottom absolutely falls out, when the seemingly impossible happens overnight, and sometimes it does, when you get that phone call, when a situation is overwhelming and it seems like everything in life is caving in on us, brethren, instead of living in fear, instead of giving in to fear, we need to have the words of Psalm 46, 1 and 2 forever emblazoned on our hard drives. God is our refuge and strength 
a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the depths of the sea, we will not fear because God is our refuge and our strength. I want to close this morning's sermon with some words from Psalm 31. Please turn there as we conclude. Psalm 31, beginning at verse 9, which basically wraps this sermon up in a nice, neat, beautiful little nutshell. Psalm 31, a few selected verses, beginning at verse 9. Let these words be carried in your heart as you leave here today. Psalm 31, verse 9. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. You ever been in trouble? My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief. And my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. It's almost like when you walk up to somebody and you get in a discussion and they find out you're a member of the Lord's church. It's, you know, your neighbors, your friends, your acquaintances, your family. Verse 11, verse 12. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of my mind. I'm like a broken vessel. For I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. He said, there's just just fear everywhere. God, I'm wasting away. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. In other words, they can do whatever they want. My times are in God's hands. Look in verses 19 and 20. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up, For those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. For those who fear you, God, and trust only in you, even in the presence of these these people that are all around you who are trying to make you fear. You're so great to those faithful, God. Verses 23 and 24. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. What is the conclusion of the matter? As Solomon said, fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And if we do that, brethren, I want to tell you this morning, we need not live in fear of anything else. Not man, not Satan, not the future, not death, not any of those things need to control us, cause us to fear and freeze us. Fear God. Keep His commandments. One of God's commandments is that we need to repent of our sins and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. Another commandment is that we need to live faithful from that point on. If you need to be baptized into Christ, if you've never done that,
If you need prayers, that you will be more faithful and fear less with the things of this world. If you need the church's help in any way, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing, and please plan to be here tonight if you can.